You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Free Kick, the podcast aiming for the top corner and part of the Sports Social Network. We may be beaten, but there's a long way to go as the Wembley Arch comes into view. Scotland are off to England in their second Euro 2020 fixture in London before they return home to take on Croatia. And we've got a show for you. We look back on Monday's 2-0 loss to the Czech Republic, ponder where Scotland go in their next two games, look back on the last time the Scots played England in the European Championship finals, and we hear from a man who's lived every Scottish footballer's dream of scoring a winner at Wembley. Plus, we get a view from Croatia too. There's plenty to come right here on Free Kick. I'm Craig Anderson and a huge welcome to the show. Now we've all been there. The final whistle sounds and for a wee while we hate football, we don't want to talk about it and the rest of the day leaves you seething at what you've just watched. But a day or two later, as you begin to entertain the notion of the next game, the excitement starts to swirl within you again and you know your emotions are going to go through the ringer once more. That's where we are. The Czechs beat us but it's gone and we're far from out of the competition as we look ahead to the next game, a small prospect of a game at Wembley with England. We've got one hell of a show for you as we capture the mood after Monday's disappointment, start to look ahead to the Friday night out in London and reminisce on former glories in the same venue as well. Who better to enjoy the trip down memory lane than former Scotland head coach Craig Brown who looks back on that clash with England at Euro 96 and all that went with that. Wembley wizard Jim McAlliog is also here to relive his winner for us against Alf Ramsey's side in that infamous game in 1967. Plus Lovren Nikolaits, a Croatian football podcaster, also gives us the lowdown on Zlatko Dalic's team as well. But we start with Monday's game at Hamden, our first major tournament game since the 3-0 loss to Morocco at France 98. 8,392 days to be exact, and we were buzzing. 
giddy excitement and joy across a country starved of this big occasion for so long. However, it turned to that oh-so-familiar feeling of utter despair as Patrick Schick's double secured a 2-0 win for the Czech Republic and gave them a big three points to start their Euro 2020 campaign. Was Marshall too far out for that second goal? What was Jack Hendry doing? Did Steve Clark get his team selection wrong? We've all had those discussions. However, I got the thoughts of Sky Sports commentator Ian Crocker after the game, Sky's voice of Scottish football, and he preferred to look on the bright side of the contest, despite the eventual outcome. I mean, I thought they played quite well. They had 19 attempts, which is a lot for an international game of football. Um, yes, they could have been a bit more ruthless and a bit more clinical, but the Czechs seemed to get various body parts in the way, and the keeper had a good game typically as well. Um, you know, their strike uh, chic. Uh, look pretty decent too and obviously you know I mean you, you can look at the marking for Scotland on the first goal but it was still a great header but yes Scotland should have dealt with it better uh, the second goal's unbelievable but I, I just think the, the regret for Scotland will be that they actually in my opinion played quite well and had all those chances and you know on another day could have been looking at a very different result actually. And of course, before the game, there was a lot of talk about Kieran Tierney being missed. I think Steve Clark confirmed before kickoff that he had been carrying a bit of a knock. Do you think he was quite a big miss today? Yeah, I think he was actually. I mean, uh, you know, Liam Cooper played well there, but the, the what we've seen between Tierney and Robertson in recent matches, uh, they've really got it together down that left side. I thought Robert actually played well and, and certainly did his bit. But a player like Kieran Tierney, I think you're talking about, you know, you look at the Scotland team and Tierney and Robertson uh, are just are outstanding. I'm, I'm gutted for Kieran because I know much it would have meant for him to have uh, played in the game. But also it was galling for the rest of us when we heard the news that he was out. They certainly kept that quiet because nobody had an inkling. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a real blow because of the way that the two of those have been linking up down that left side. But also he's just a, a top class player. Sounds like he, he might be all right for Wembley and we would certainly hope so on that. But yeah, he was obviously going to be missed. And I felt as well as, as the game went on, for all that they brought on Ryan Fraser, who himself can be an industrious player, and James Forrest, I felt it maybe needed a bit of freshness, a David Turnbull, a Billy Gilmore, an unknown quantity perhaps to, to come on and, and really cause the Czech some problems. Yeah, we all become managers, don't we? Especially mm. when you lose, <laughs> everyone becomes a manager and uh, you know everyone would have picked a different starting eleven probably. I watched the England game yesterday and I uh, saw on Twitter and various things, everybody moaning about the team that, that Gareth picked, and, and it actually worked out for him, you know. And the same with Steve Clark; he knows his players and, and what state they're in and where they're at better than anyone. Um, and you know, I think we've got to, having having got Scotland to the a major finals, we've got to trust his judgment. But yeah, we did seem to be a bit lacking down the right hand side. And James Forrest, I know he's been out for a long time, but when he came on and he nearly scored himself, uh, he certainly certainly made a difference. Um, Turnbull and Gilmore they've only just come on the scene late on and I think there's always going to be an element uh, with managers that they'll be loyal to the people who got them there in the first place whether that will change as the tournament goes on it might well but yeah we can all look back and think well, we could have done this, could have done that I mean, personally I'd like to have seen Che Adams start in the game but everybody's got their opinion and, and really it's all down to what Steve Clark thinks we can all uh, try and and get second guess and pick our own teams. But um, it'd be really interesting to, to see who he picks for Wembley. And I do think the difference, I mean, I was looking back about 18 months, two years, and, you know, we seem to be over, overloaded with left-backs and midfielders, all of a similar type. And now the, the balance of the squad is so much better in, in almost every department. 
Um, and, and you've got, I mean, Billy Gumbel's half hour against Luxembourg was sensational. Um, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he actually ended up playing quite a big part in the next couple of games. And the, the thing is as well, and it's an important thing to remember, this didn't come to me maybe too later on, for all the talk of 23 years in Scotland, last grace to a major tournament, this is a learning curve for these guys. They've never been in this situation before as well. No, I was watching Kenny McLean on, on the telly there talking about that and, and saying, you know, that, uh, yeah, it is. I mean, he, and, and I think the guys uh, in the studio on the telly said, you know, you, you, don't, you don't want to actually be learning in these games. You want to be there where you want to be. But the fact that Scotland haven't had these tournaments, it, it's so different. You could just see with the Czech Republic, I didn't think were great, by the way, but they've got that tournament experience and they're a big, strong physical side I didn't think there was actually that much between the two teams, though. You're looking at a guy who, who scored both goals, who's top class, plays in Germany. Um, but actually, you know, it's 19 chances for Scotland, just 10 for the for the Czechs. I know David Marshall had to make some big saves as well. But I didn't think there was an awful lot between the teams. So, sure, they'll go away and, and obviously analyse it and pick out everything they possibly can out of the game. But ultimately, it probably came down to being clinical in front of goal and... and Although Scotland, you could you could certainly say they that maybe they didn't have have that. I thought they were really unlucky with some of the. I mean, Armstrong's shot hit, could have gone anywhere off the defender and went onto the roof of the net. Jack Hendry clipping the bar. Um, you know, I thought they were a little bit unlucky um, to actually not score in the game, not score. I think if they got one, got one back, we could easily be looking at a, a draw. And of course, you've touched on him already. Patrick Schick, the Czech striker, plays for Bayer Leverkusen. There's a reason he plays for a club like Bayer Leverkusen, and he showed that today, didn't he? Yeah, he was quality. I mean, um, as we mentioned, you know, Scotland will be absolutely gutted and disappointed in the way the first goal came about, but it was some leap from the boy, some header and some placement. Um, and, and the second goal, you know, people might say Marshall's a long way out. A lot of keepers are a long way out these days, but still to execute what he did. And it's interesting, I saw his interview, and you can see him actually looking up to see where, where Marshall was. Um, but even so, that, that actually, his shot actually started way out of the, the, the goalpost and swirled in. It was like, um, it was like something else, that. And uh, that's that touch of quality at this level and, and experience as well that makes the difference in these games. But I still think Scotland can feel pretty good about themselves they probably they probably will be but they will just have the regrets that that you know they've lost the game and that with so many chances a game they could have actually got something out of but you know still two matches and the four best third place teams go through as well three points might be enough to get you through um so Scotland will just go and get those at Wembley the question is, does Steve Clark change anything going to Wembley? We've, we've talked about Kieran Tierney and the possibility he might be back on Friday. Is there anyone else that you think might be in contention come Friday? I think he he might change that right wing-back role, but then what does he do there? Play James Forrest from the start, maybe? Or I know there's a clamour for Nathan Patterson, who, um, who personally I think is fantastic, but as a, he was another latecomer to the, to the squad prior to the Euros. Um, but having said that, he's the sort of guy uh, that would just come in and do a job. I don't think he'd be remotely phased. So I think maybe the right wing back position might give Steve food for thought. Um, Tierney back in, then how does he play it with the, the back three? Um, so, yeah, I think he's got a, a... And does he go with the front two, Dykes and Adams, or maybe Adams and someone off him? Um, you know, get McGinn up there maybe. It's... This is what uh, 
this is his job. And uh, listen, I wouldn't like to do it actually because there's so many <laughs> things to think about, and it's going to be fascinating to to see what team he picks. Because I think the one he picked today, there were, you know, I know obviously Tierney being out was a surprise to everyone, but yeah, maybe it wasn't what everybody had in mind. But it's obviously what he's had in mind for for a long time, and and they they just weren't that far off. That's the hugely frustrating thing. I thought. When I woke up this morning quite early, really excited for the game, I thought, I mean, the, the last 23 years have just kind of evaporated now. It's finally <laughs> happened. Scotland are a major tournament. Yet there were elements in that game that reminded you of those 23 years, the nearly, but not quite, with the Czechs getting a bit of their body in the way and so on. And and Scotland had enough chances to get something out of that game. So, But I'm certainly not ruling them out of making it to the knockout phase, not based on that performance, because 19 chances in one game is a huge positive. And, you know, Gareth Southgate in England camp, I'm sure, would have watched that um, keenly, given, obviously, Scotland are next. What do you think he would have learned from, from watching that game today? I think Gareth probably had a fair idea about Scotland anyway. Um, I knew Gareth when he was a teenager at uh, Crystal Palace when I was starting out in radio. I ended up interviewing quite a bit. Funnily enough, I went to work in Birmingham in local radio the same time he went to Aston Villa, so I feel like I've been stalking him throughout <laughs> his career. Love, lovely guy. Um, everybody says he's a nice guy, but and, and nice guys don't win anything, but, but they do actually. Although he's a nice guy, he's a winner, and you know, he played fifty-seven times for England, so and a centre half as well. You know, they're never that nice. Um, so anyway, I think Gareth would have had a fair idea. I don't think anything there would have surprised him, but you know, I think people might have expected Scotland to be a bit more cautious, but they actually, from the start of the game, had a go, went for it. Losing that goal just before half-time was an absolute killer blow and obviously the one just after because although they seemed asleep for a couple of minutes at the start of the second half, they were creating chances at 1-0. Second goal, not the stuffing out of them. I don't. I think Gareth, kind of, he's the sort of guy who would have known everything about Scotland and its players even before watching that game. Sure, there'll be things happening in the game where you might spot a weakness or two, but I just think it's, such a, it's going to be such a different game and, you know... I think I still. Think, I've always said all along. I don't think Scotland will will lose at Wembley, and I'm still still standing by that. So let's talk about your commentary career now, Ian. You've watched and followed Scotland for years on your role with uh, Sky Sports, and going back to the game in Serbia, how pleased were you to finally commentate on a game that had a happy ending in the end? Yeah, well, I started commentating on Scotland, the national team, and the domestic scene in 1998, so I felt like a bit of a curse because obviously that was the last time they were at a major <laughs> tournament. Picked up the baton after that, and it's not happened. And after all the hard luck stories over the years and all the disappointments, it was just immense. And of course, they had to go and do it the hard way by letting an equaliser in. And when that happened, remember when the ball went out for that corner that led to the Serbia equaliser? Actually, mm. saying in commentary, I feel sick now. And I did because we all kind of know what's coming next with Scotland in those circumstances. Over the 90 minutes, I thought Scotland deserved to win the game. Serbia came on strong in extra time. Um, but the guys kept their cool from the, from the penalties, 100% record in penalty shootouts now. And yeah, it was great to have a happy ending because when it got to 1-1, you're thinking, oh no, please not again. I don't think we can actually take much more of this. There's been so many nights like that and so many moments in the 23 years. So not only was it fantastic to see um, when Big Marshall saved that penalty from Mitrovic, who was obviously going for the glory fifth penalty, by the way. Um, the, the response from the whole nation was just fantastic. And, you know, we've had to wait a while. We had to wait another year for the Euros, obviously. But what's another year? We've been waiting 23 years. So 
it's great to see the way the nation of Scotland has come together for this. And even looking at all the build-up stuff today and when when they were singing Flower of Scotland before the game, it sent shivers through me because you, having covered them for 23 years, I've got a strong affinity for them and I want them to do well. And um, I, I don't think this Euros is qualifying for the knockout phases out of the question for them yet. Now, I've heard many commentators through the years talk about certain moments, key moments in their career, big sport moments. I would say that that's one for you, obviously, the David Marshall um, situation. I do some commentary myself, albeit in a different sport, and I find you can't script moments like that. It's about saying really what comes into your head at that time and trying to encapsulate the moment uh, perfectly. You, you, can't, you really can't script that, can you? You can't, no, because, you know, I, I went through a phase earlier in my career where, you know, I, I tried to, you try to second guess what's going to happen and you have it in your mind what you're going to say. And then a, when a goal comes along, it's nothing like you thought it was going to be or, as you know, you just think well, that kind of doesn't work. There were obviously some elements that I did have in my mind to say because, you know, I think most commentators would say, listen, if this, it was a bit like when Hibbs won the Scottish Cup. It hadn't happened for 114 years. I was thinking I better say something to actually capture this moment. So I had a few things in my mind, and uh, what what made me looking back at that night when David Marshall saves the penalty and he's waiting for the referee to give him the all clear that he wasn't off his line. I I hadn't waited, and I was already into one big yes and quoting Flower of Scotland lyrics. And <laughs> David Provin was next to me, actually going, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on, but it's too late." If if he had actually been off his line, it would have been the biggest reverse gear scrunch heard ever in commentary to go back on that because I was away with it and it was just a, a magic moment and um, I'm sure nobody nobody probably heard the commentary at the time because they were too busy screaming themselves but <laughs> so I woke up the next morning not that I had much sleep actually because I had a few glasses of red wine to celebrate with Davy, but um, to uh, like a million messages on my phone and it was uh, all very humbling but yeah listen these are the nights that everyone is in football for and I was I was genuinely pleased for Steve, but also for this group of players who I think I think are decent guys, but also an awful lot of decent footballers there. And sometimes we maybe don't blow that particular trumpet too much. So, what would you say are your highlights in covering Scottish football in general over the years? What games and, and moments stick out? The Serbia one, I would say, is certainly up there. Going by what you've said, Serbia is right up there. Yeah. yeah, I've done around sixty old firms now, which always amazes me that I've managed to probably survive as long as to do that many, but they're always great occasions. I know they come with a lot of baggage, but as a, as a sporting occasion, it's unique. And, you know, it was really weird doing them behind closed doors, having said that. And hopefully, you know, that will soon be a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of those in the 6-2 game, Martin O'Neill's first old firm when Celtic were 3-0 up in 11 and a half minutes. Uh, Henrik Larsson scored his chip. There was a 2002 Scottish Cup final, 11 crowns last minute winner, which, which, which was one of my more pleasing, as a commentator, you're always rather selfish. But as the ball, Neil McCann put the cross in, I said, is there going to be a twist in the tail? And I've probably said that about a hundred times before in commentary and nothing happened at all. <laughs> Obviously this time Lovencrant stole in and it, it kind of worked. And then over the years, uh, obviously, I mean, I remember going along to Fir Park in May 2010 to watch Motherwell Hibs thinking, I'm not sure this will be that great. And it ended up 6-6, extraordinary night of football. Uh, Hibs 6-2 up, Motherwell get back to 5-6, miss a penalty, and then Nukovic scores his Van Basten-esque screamer, so uh, there's that. And I have to say, with apologies to Rangers fans, nothing personal, but Hibs winning the Scottish Cup as a commentator when they've not done it for 114 years, you kind of want it to happen on your shift. And the way it happened, the dramatic winning goal right at the end 
was uh, something else. So, so many memories, it's hard to actually pick out one, but certainly Scotland qualifying for a major tournament is right up there. I, I don't cover many major tournaments because obviously you normally BBC and ITV do them. Uh, when I was freelance, I did do a World Cup in South Africa in 2010 and did cover Euro 96 for radio. And it's, it's fantastic to be involved and, you know, um, for the fans to miss out for so long and for, for generations to miss out, but also for a lot of colleagues who work in the media as well, just really pleased that, that Scotland finally got there. And I think everyone needs to remain positive based on what they saw today. Yes, you know, it, it was disappointing, but there's still an awful lot to play for in this group. So let's finish by asking you about Friday. And you're an Englishman. I think we've established that now speaking. Mm. Um, You've said you've got an affinity for Scotland. How do you see it going? And are you going to give me the answer I expect you to? Do you know, I I mean, I've been cheering on Scotland because I've just done them. I'm so used to it for for 23 years. And I just have more of an an affinity now with Scotland than England. Some people don't believe that. But it is true. I mean, I hardly watch England, mainly because I'm usually watching Scotland. So, Mm. you know, and... um, I watched the England game yesterday, and I thought, you know, they, they were they were absolutely rock solid. I mean, everything went according to plan. They've got players in the front areas, in particular, who can who can hurt you in an instant, hurt anyone, any team in the world. But um, I thought Croatia were pretty poor, which could also give Scotland encouragement when when it comes to the final group game. And I still think Scotland have got enough players to to ask a few questions of England and, and probably have a go with them. Maybe it's better to have a go in, the, in a game like that, which you know, I'm sure that'll be the uh, that'll be the intent to some extent. Um, so I really hope they do well. Uh, I've said all along that I don't think Scotland will lose and, you know, um, that might come back to haunt me. But I just think the players will be so pumped up for the game. But also, in, in, it was interesting hearing Andy Robertson trying to calm everyone down today because obviously the, the big stages and the big games that he's played in. And sometimes, you know, these games, when, when you haven't had the experience of major tournaments and you, the whole nation is is behind you, but also, you, you know, they want you to perform. That that can't be easy. And um, I, I thought overall, Scotland gave a, gave a decent account of themselves against the Czech Republic. And as I say, one or two chances go in, you never know. But I just think they will give England something to think about. I mean, you know, we do have players who, who play on, on the top stage as well. So uh, I say we are, I keep saying we for Scotland now and everybody <laughs> ribs me for it. But that's the way it is. So I've gone for a 1-1 draw all along and um, I'm still going to stick with that. Welcome back to Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. You heard the familiar voice of Ian Crocker, Sky Sports Scottish football commentator, before the break. My next guest, though, is someone who knows what it's like to carry the hopes of a nation into a major international tournament and years on knows all about the despair and joy that comes with it. Craig Brown was Scotland's coach between 1993 and 2001 and led us to Euro 96 and the World Cup in France in 1998. As you'll hear, he was also part of the coaching teams of Alex Ferguson and Andy Roxburgh for the World Cups in 1986 and 1990 in Mexico and Italy respectively, plus Euro 92 in Sweden. He kindly gave his time to talk to me on free kick about his recollections of preparing for that game at Wembley in 1996 against Terry Venable's side, spoke about the current team and how they can recover in games to come. But he could completely understand how Steve Clark felt in the aftermath of the loss to the Czechs. Well, I've got every sympathy for him, mate. I'm trying to remember how we got on in the opening game and various <laughs> tournaments. I was at five major tournaments for Scotland 
on the staff. I was on the staff at three of them, uh, starting with going to Mexico with Sir Alec Ferguson. He invited me as one of his coaches. And then I was in Italy. I was assistant manager with Andy Roxburgh. And then I was at the World Cup myself. And these are the three World Cups I've been at. And in France was the third one, 98. But Scotland's only ever been at two European championships before this one. And uh, I was at both of them, 92 in Sweden and uh, 96 in England. Uh, of course, I remember the England one most clearly because I was the manager at that time. Mm-hmm. So I've been through this same experience as Davy Clark. I don't think we had it's quite as it's a disappointing result. I wouldn't say the performance was reflected in the result. I think the least we should have got is a draw on the on the performance and the chances. Uh, but they got two brilliant goals, which made the difference. And I will say what I think made the difference was uh, the, the striker. Uh, the, the, the striker who scored the two goals for the. Uh, for the uh, Czech Republic, what a wonderful player! Mm-hmm. And uh, you know he's a he's a twenty six million player, so that kind of tells you that uh, <laughs> we haven't anyone I think of that value unless they promote Andy Robertson or Tierney who couldn't play into that category. But you know the one player made the slight difference, and therefore I think it was a bit of a uh, the result was a bit of a distortion. I don't think it was a fair result. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, he'll be sitting tonight. He'll look back on the game and he'll, he'll maybe do a bit of soul searching. He'll try and find out where, where the, the team went wrong as well. And again, you can relate to that. How, how long does that take before he, he he comes up with a plan for the next game? Well, he'll have to get a, a plan quite quickly, I think, because th- this is annoying me in a, in a way. I'll be quite honest and say that England have every advantage here. This next game, the main advantage is they'll get home. They'll get the home. Venue, that's one. But the next advantage, and I think it's a, a big one that nobody's mentioned, and I think it's quite important, they've got an extra day's rest. Mm. Now, a day makes quite a difference in a tournament. You know, if you get another day longer to recover and to rest up for the Scotland boys, especially those who did a hard shift. You know, I'm looking at John McGinn there. He's running everywhere on that pitch for Scotland. Now, it'll take John a day or two to, get to recover. And the longer he's got to recover before the next game, the better. Now, he's not the only one, but there was a fair shift uh, undertaken by the midfield, McTominay and McGinn in particular. So England have a great advantage here. And I think Scotland will have to recover well. And I think with the best will in the world, it's not my business to say this, but I think he'll have to freshen his team up a wee bit uh, to change it slightly, even for for the fact that the new boys will be fresh and raring to go. Whereas the ones that played there, when you play and you lose, you're more tired than when you play and you win. Mm. <laughs> you know? I get that. Uh, yeah. if, they, if, won, if they won the game 2 nothing, they don't play tomorrow against England. But you've lost the game 2 nothing. takes a day or two to come to terms with that. Take me back to 1996. You played Holland in the first game. It was a nil-nil draw, quite different circumstances. But you had England in the second game. What do you remember about the build-up to that game at Wembley against Terry Venable's side? Well, the big the big memory I have, the main memory I have is a ticket scramble. <laughs> everybody, everybody in Scotland wanted a ticket. <laughs> and, uh, and the players wanted more tickets. And, you know, and they're not asking for freebies. 
but they're wanting how many can we buy? Because everybody thinks a player gets unlimited tickets. In fact, they go further than that. They think they get unlimited free tickets, you know, <laughs> and they think the manager gets unlimited free tickets. So I, I, I found I had more friends than I thought I had <laughs> when, when we were playing. Honestly, the biggest problem wasn't he picking the team or the training or anything like that. It was satisfying the demands of uh, everyone, not just players, but officials who wanted tickets for that game now. And it was that there was Wembley holds a lot of people. Uh, but it was a very great uh, issue. Now, what I did was I said to Colin Henry, I said, phone your pal at Blackburn, phone Shearer, Alan Shearer, find out how many tickets England players are getting. <laughs> and when he told me, I did two, I think, I, I can't remember, I think he said they're getting four complimentaries and they're getting 10 to buy. So I said to the officials, Jim Farry, the chief executive of Scotland, uh, England are getting six tickets and 12 to buy. <laughs> I think, you know, I tried not to tell a lie. I said, I think England are getting... So I said, I don't want our team to feel inferior to them. So we've got to get the same number, <laughs> at least the same. And if we can give them more, they'll be, the players will be delighted and they'll pull out all the stops. Uh, they think, that, well, the SFA, the Football Association is looking after them very well. So I don't know, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's something like that. But anyway, the boys got what they wanted. And the other thing, of course, is car park passes, mm. tea room tickets. You've no idea, you know. And, and I said to the players, we'll get these tickets early in the week. Uh, after immediately we played, I think we played the Holland game. As soon as that's over, I want you to get rid of your tickets for the England game. I don't want you in that dressing room with somebody phoning you saying, where's my tickets? You know, and I don't want to hear tickets mentioned 24 hours before the game. Uh, get rid of that. Now, you're saying, what were the, what were the problems? <laughs> that was the first. The main problem was tickets. Then the next problem, of course, is trying to beat England. <laughs> and that was an easier problem than the tickets. <laughs> but, but what, what uh, we problems, you know, the, the England pitch is different from most Wembley. Uh, I found, and you know, I got the tip off, and I, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it was Alec Ferguson. Quite remember to call him Sir Alec. Said, "Look, get your boys a good session on that pitch because it's a sticky surface. If you run with the ball, you know we've got the uh, Ryan Giggs runs with the ball and it sticks in the grass. The grass is not the way most of these top pitches are. Now, Hamden, I looked at it today, and Hamden is always a very smooth surface. Not the ball runs nicely." smoothly. The ball runs nicely at Wembley, but it sticks. And if you're dribbling with it, you're running with it, it you have to hit it a bit harder through the grass. So I got that bit of advice. I think it was Sir Alec that told me that. And he says, get your, get a good training session on the, the Wembley pitch so that they know the pace of the surface. And we had this, well, this sort of motto uh, that you underweight your pass. When you're passing the ball to a receiving player, pass it as softly as possible. Now, there was a nonsense talk for years in Scotland. Good firm passes. Good firm. Now, if you give a good firm pass to a guy, before he can do anything with it, he's got to stop it and control it. But if you give it an underweighted pass, uh, he can play it first time. He doesn't have to control it. The ball's just coming to him nicely. Now, obviously, it's got to get there quickly enough to avoid being intercepted, but so we things like that 
we found imported at Wembley because an underweighted pass at Wembley, if it's the same pass as you played at Hamden, it would stick. It wouldn't it would go over half the distance. Uh, so that was a problem in the in the training session before the before the game. So we went the day before. We were allowed to do a session at the same time as the kickoff the day before. It was an evening kickoff. You could train at night. If it's an afternoon one, you can train in the afternoon. So I can't remember, but we went and had a good session at Wembley, uh, which helped us when the game started. When you think back in your, your time as Scotland manager, particularly the, the games against uh, England at Wembley, and you managed in a couple of them. In, in terms of the build-up, would you say they were bigger than in maybe some of the other games you, you managed in through your time? Yeah, I think it all, one word, Craig, uh, is yes. <laughs> <laughs> a game against England, you can't get anything bigger. You know, really, in the eyes, we played Brazil yeah. in the opening game of the World Cup. Now, they're the world champions. And uh, we've played Germany away, we've played France away, we've played Germany away. They were the European champions that won Euro 96. We've played them away. We played France away, we've played Russia away. I mean, we've had some real hard games away from home, but the most demanding and the most critical, obviously, is <laughs> for pride alone, is England away, England at Wembley. That's the game that uh, that catches the imagination of every player and every supporter. So this game at the weekend that Stevie Clark's got, this is a biggie. This is a big, big game because it'll mean a lot to the fans, to the players, to the whole nation. Now I believe you were at the game at Hamden against the Czech Republic. What was it? What was it like to be back in a, a football ground again with fans after the year and a bit we've had with this uh, pandemic? Yeah, well, it was fantastic, but it was it was a wee bit surreal because uh, the announcer kept saying, "Please, everyone, ensure that you wear your safety mask. Your uh, your uh, mask. Wear well, not your safety mask. <laughs> your, <laughs> your mask. <laughs> not your, your safety safety belt. But no, he was announcing wear the mask. So mm. I mean, you're sitting in there. Although you're at the game, you're told to wear the mask, so you have to wear it. And uh, there's no there's no such thing as a match programme. There's no hospitality. You can't get a, a, a cup of coffee at half time or a, or a pie or anything like that. You can get water. Uh, so it's it's a very unusual and you're, you're, the seats are spaced. I mean, I went with a couple of friends and they, I couldn't get sitting right beside them. You know, there are three seats between us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you want to make a comment about the game you're talking to your pal well the guy in front has got how do you hear it <laughs> and he might be the father or the, uh, the brother of the player you're criticising you know well, I try never to criticise a player publicly anyway but you know it's not, it, although there, were, there was only 9,800 there I heard although mm. they get 12,000 tickets I don't know where the other 2,000 yeah. tickets went Strange. but the, the official attendance that we heard over the tannoy was 9,800 and something. And yet we were told that there was a 12,000 attendance. It looked quite busy and it was, I think, very pleasingly noisy. You know, the Tartan Army are great fans and they were shouting the odds, you know, uh, to try and encourage the team. So, uh, you know, it, it was great to get back to a game, a real game and not have to watch it on television. 
Now, what struck me today was the fact that these players um, are, are under intense media glare, intense public glare, because this is the first time it's happened in 23 years. You, you said earlier you, you were part of five um, parties that went to major tournaments, two of which you were the manager of. Was the fact that you were part of those parties before being manager yourself a help in experience and the, the full publicity? Yeah, Craig, that's a great point. A massive help to have been there when you weren't the manager. You know, I mean, imagine getting invited by Alec Ferguson to go to Mexico as one of his coaches. And just to be able to sit and listen to him, the I would say the best manager on the planet ever. And to see how he handled the players, how he handled a team meeting, how he handled the training and, and how he handled the team in a match day. I mean, that was an education. You couldn't you couldn't buy that, you know. And, and incidentally, I never once heard the hairdryer stuff, <laughs> you know, and I, I've said to his co colleague, my pal, uh, Archie Knox, Archie, what about this hairdryer? He says, I think once, I was with him at Manchester United and at Aberdeen, and once he had a blast at David Beckham, he kicked a boot and he, he gave him the hair. But he says, once in 12 years or something like that, you know, and of course it became, it became famous for the hairdryer. Now, I was with uh, Alec, uh, had 10 games manager of Scotland. And, you know, when I was with him, I never once heard him raise his voice. He never shouted at anybody onto the pitch or at halftime. He, he, he spoke plenty. And mm. when he spoke, then he loved to have, in the good weather we had in Mexico, he loved to have a team meeting outside. You know, you weren't in a classroom environment. Players don't like that. You know, and when you go to a hotel and you ask for a meeting room, they say, you want 24 seats. So you've got the players and the staff in. You always get them in rows. And I always said to the kit man, change these seats, make them ragged, uh, random. Don't put them in rows because I don't want the guys to come in thinking they're at school, getting a lecture. I want them to think, you know, in, in, in casual, informal, mm. and move the chairs about, which he did. And, and therefore, when they came in, it was a, it was a chat. It wasn't a lecture. And a team meeting was a was a chat, and, and I learned that just watching the master. I like he, he chatted to them, and he would say, "Well, we're getting a free kick outside the box. Any of you got any ideas what you've done at your club and might be a good shout?" You know, he wouldn't say, "You'll do this and you'll do that, and you better." It, it was totally different from what I would have imagined before I joined. But so you asked me about I had that experience, and, and, and Andy Roxo was a very very. A good manager of Scotland. And I, you know, they're talking about just now getting to the last 16. You know, if they get out of this last 24 we're in. Yeah. Now, they've got another round to go before they get where Andy got. Andy hit Scotland in the last eight <laughs> in, uh, in Sweden because yeah. only eight teams qualified. So we were in the, the last eight. We went right into the quarterfinals. And now we're thinking it's going to be great to get in the court. Of course it will be, but it'll not. They're mistaken journalists saying that for the first time we've ever done this and that. No, Andy had the team uh, in the last eight. When I had the job in Euro 96, 16 teams qualified. So we were in the last 16 then. <laughs> now we have to get out of this group to get into the last 16. And I'm, I'm sure and I'm confident with, with, with the four best thirds, I'm sure will. I'm, I'm very optimistic we will get out of the group 
because uh, we'll get something at Wembley and then we'll beat Croatia. Well, I was just going to ask you, we've seen this movie before where we've lost the first game, we're feeling a bit low, a bit negative about our chances, but, you know, anything can happen. Of course, you know, we've lost the first game. It's given a great boost to the Czech Republic to get in a way. Well, it's really, it's supposed to be a neutral venue hmm. for this tournament, but uh, we had a home game and we lost a home game to them and they'll be delighted. They've got the, the three points. And, you know, the other thing they've got, and it's a wee bit worrying, there's an extra goal. They've got two goals. If it goes to goal difference, you know, I was panicking there. There was a, a point in the second half when I thought they're going to get a third goal. And if they get a third goal, you know, goal difference would be hard to make up. But uh, if we beat England 9 3 the way they just, that'll make up the goal <laughs> difference. <laughs> So how do you see the game on Friday going then? You know, the, the guys will want to react to, obviously. Well, I watched the England game. I watched them the other night. And uh, I thought they, against Croatia, I thought they were okay. But they weren't invincible. They didn't worry me, I'll be honest. You know, I looked at them and, you know, uh, you, you know the, the names worry you maybe more than the performances. You know, well, we know that Kane will score a goal, given Harry Kane will score, given a chance. And then the wee boy that scored the other night, uh, Raheem Sterling he'll score a goal but I've got some young talented boys you know uh, and even Grealish didn't they come off the uh, the bench Foden looks terrific you know uh, and and I think we've got a very difficult game against England because they're in good form they're highly experienced guys and I think they've got a very good football manager I think Dark, uh, Gareth Southgate he has done very well as a manager of England. Uh, and I really think, you know, if we can get if we can get a draw there, it would be a good result. And then I'm sure, I couldn't be more sure we'll beat Croatia at home because Croatia are, are in a down spiral now. They were one of the top countries in the world until recently, but the last three, four years, they've, nothing, they've been nothing like their old Croatia. And in fact... You know, they say, I don't know, read the papers, there's dissension in the camp, there's a lot of bad feeling, you know, there's, they're, they're fighting amongst each other, disagreeing about things. So if that's the case, that's good for us. Before we go, Craig, you were good enough to, to take the time to talk to me. I said this to you before we started recording. You've had many requests to speak about your time as Scotland manager um, in the build-up to this. Have you enjoyed taking the trip down memory lane and looking back on, on some of those memorable moments? Yeah, I've got to say I have, and I have enjoyed it. To, you know, I think though there's always a it resurrects criticism as well. You know, I think we did quite well. You know, I had seventy games with the Scottish team, and in fifty of them we weren't beaten. You know, I got a few draws right enough. <laughs> but, but you know, yeah, yeah, I'm quite proud of the fact that fifty times I had that team, we didn't lose. Now that sounds negative, but it's a it's a pleasing statistic to me that you know the Tartan Army have been brilliant with me, and you know they're still in touch with me. A lot of the officials of the various groups of the Tartan Army, and anywhere I go, people says, "Oh, that was great when you were with Scotland." Oh well, yeah, I feel a wee bit disappointed that we didn't uh, progress a wee bit better. 
in each tournament, and and that, to be honest, is a, a major regret. And I think the, the the biggest regret was Euro '96, where it was it was a goal scored that put us out. It wasn't even goal difference; it was goal scored, and it was that goal that went through uh, Siemens leg, Clivert's goal uh, that went through the goalkeeper's legs, and that effectively finished us. And, and we maybe if had we thought we had to, we might have managed another goal against the Switzerland in that, in that final game. But you know that's a big regret. I think we could have done better in the Euro '96, the World Cup. In France, we get slated for losing the last game. But the very interesting thing is this. We lost 3-0 to the Morocco and they said, oh, that was a disgrace. Now, Morocco were the African champions and that's hard to win that championship. And they've got 36 million people and they're football mad in, in Casablanca in Morocco. Uh, so the, the ignorance of the press thinking this is an easy game, you know, uh, Nonsense, of course, but and in the game, the statistics, FIFA gave a technical report after the tournament uh, of the World Cup, and we got it. Now, every statistic was favoured Scotland, except the goals. You say, well, it's the goals that count, and I, I'm right, it is the goals that count, but Scotland had more of everything. They had more possession in both halves. They had more shots at goal. They had more corner kicks. They had more of everything. And even with 10 men, when Burley gets sent off, and he was sent off uh, in 53 minutes. So we'll get 37 minutes plus stoppage time, or 40 minutes to play without him. And even playing with 10 men, we'll get more of everything than Morocco. But Morocco scored three goals. And I, I that's the only time I was really kind of really disappointed and kind of angry in a way with the press because they were using words like humiliation, you know. And Drummy, I said, were you at the game? Did you see the game? You know, we played we played better than they did. And we had 10 men for most of the second half. But that's a big regret. That was, you know, we had uh, we had a chance against Morocco to progress. But uh, uh, they managed to, to score three goals. And, uh, and I think, you know, a couple of the goals were quite soft. And we had... Equal chances, more chances, more of everything. Anyway, that's that's me moaning, making excuses. <laughs> but but it, it was a privilege, Craig, to be in charge of the team and the, the experiences I had were wonderful, both on and off the pitch. And I'll always be grateful for that. This is Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. It was great to hear from Craig Brown, the former Scotland coach, before the break, and as you can hear, still as big a fan as we all are. Let's jump ahead a little, and after Friday's inevitable victory over England at Wembley, I know, I know, we return to Hamden to face the fourth team in Group D, Croatia, in what will be our final group game before we march proudly into the last 16. I know, I know. Before we play them, Zlatko Dalic's men take on the Czech Republic in Glasgow on Friday afternoon and are looking for their first points after suffering their opening loss going down 1-0 to England at Wembley on Sunday. I wanted to find out more about the mood in Croatia and how this team compares with the one that reached the World Cup final in Russia three years ago. So I rang up Croatian football podcaster Lovra Nikolac to get the info on them and I began by asking him if he could take any positives from the performance at Wembley. 
Uh, uh, the only pause that I can take out is that Modric and Kovac look decent. Uh, the attack was uh, rubbish. We didn't do anything. Defense was also rubbish, leaving a lot of space in behind and a lot of space in open in, in the midfield. So that's how we conceded the goal. So uh, the only positive is Modric and Kovac, I'm, I'm going to be honest. What was the mood like in the country prior to the competition? Obviously, the last tournament was the, the World Cup in Russia three years ago, which uh, Croatia reached the final. They, they lost to France in the final, but were terrific throughout the tournament. What was the mood coming into this one? Uh, not the best feeling after the preparation matches, as we, lo- as we lost to Belgium and drew to Armenia 1-1. So that kind of lowered the morale and... Yeah, the defeat the, the England didn't do much, but now we have to fight for that second place. And going off the World Cup is also a very hard task because we made it to the final. So you, you, some people have a lot of big expectations, so I don't really think we're going to live, live up to those expectations as they're kind of unrealistic. Now, I, as an observer from where I am in Scotland, they seem to me like a, a team in transition. Maybe you can confirm this for me. Because they had that excellent team in Russia three years ago, but some players have, have aged a bit since. Some players have, have moved on and retired. Am I right in saying that, that it's a team in, in a bit of flux at the moment? They are bringing in new players and, and trying to bed them in. Oh, yeah, we're definitely in the transition. And it's going to get even worse after Modric leaves and Brozovic and, and then those kind of players especially in the defense. We're definitely in the transition, but I, I, I'm going to say some kind of middle transition as we're, it, it's still a big transition to come after those kind of players leave, after maybe the World Cup or even these Euros some may, may leave. So the next game is against the Czech Republic later this week. Scotland will, will play England in the other game as well. You're, you're coming to Glasgow for that one. Um, is it a case of looking for a big reaction um, to the, the, after the game on, on Sunday? You need a big performance, a big result even, to give you a chance of getting through? Yeah, we definitely need it. I mean, we, after the last England, we now have to win on two matches against Scotland and Czech Republic if we want to finish second. Or I, I don't even want to do the math. To finish to finish second with a draw and a win, so I I don't want to bet on it. So we have to make sure we have, we win those two matches. And if after how we, the both teams look today, it's it's going to be a hard match against the both. Who would you say are the, the players to watch out for? Modric is an obvious one. He still plays at Real Madrid, of course. Uh, Kramaric is a player who's done very well in recent years. Kovacic as well at Chelsea. Who else would you say are players that kind of stick out for Croatia? Well, I, I, I hope uh, Vlasic plays against the Czech Republic and Scotland. That's a, that, that's a definite after how Brozovic played against England. So I hope he starts. So he's definitely a man to watch out for. A very good dribbler and a very good does very good combinations with the attackers and wingers and gets a lot of space for him to shoot or play off a great pass in attack. But what we definitely need, that's what we need after that England match. And another player, maybe Brekalo. If he gets into onto that right wing, which I think he should have started on against England instead of Kramaric, who plays at, at the striker position normally. And yeah, so Vlasic and Brekalo, definitely. And are you able to give an idea of, of how Scotland are viewed in Croatia, especially in light of the, the game against the Czech Republic where they lost 2-0? What is the, the, the mood towards Scotland right now? Or are, are you even looking that far ahead? Uh, we are definitely looking that far ahead after losing to England. But... Uh, th- 
ahead of the tournament, everybody saw you as Robertson, McTominay, maybe even Shea Adams. And after the Czech Republic, you're still viewed the same. Uh, are you aware that Scotland have an unbeaten record against Croatia? Does that come into any thinking at all? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. How, how many matches have we played? Have we played? It's not that many. I think it's about five. I want to say five. I'll check that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting oh, one, though. It is an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, we, yeah, we haven't won. We played, I think, in the was it the Euros in '96 or 2000? No, no, we did. We didn't make it to the 2000 Euros. Yeah. No, it was the the World Cup qualifiers for 2002. If we were in the same group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a pair of draws. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We haven't beat you then. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, oh. Then that just makes it even worse. But I, then again, we didn't lose that. <laughs> Then again, we had a record coming into these Euros to never lose a opening match of the Euros, and England never won a opening match of the Euros. And that, you see how it turned around. So, obviously, <laughs> some traditions are meant to be broken in this year. Absolutely, it's, it's going to be one of those tournaments. Can you tell us a wee bit about the coach, Lako Dalic? Now, I recall when he was appointed, he wasn't a popular choice. I think there may have been politics going on in the background that he wasn't a popular choice, but got them to the World Cup final. Still in the job, of course. What kind of personality is he? Yeah, basically, Zlatko Dalic is a manager down to earth, speaks to the players, definitely makes them feel comfortable in the squad. Uh, we kind of saw some rules going up in, in the last World Cup when Kalnic was kicked off because he was complaining about not getting enough playing time, sitting on the bench too much. Now, there was a similar situation at the start of these Euros with Kramaric because he was like... a. I think he said, I think even the, the grand was at the farm, you know, what position I play. And because Dalish was playing him at wing and then again played him at, at winger uh, against England. So uh, I really hope that doesn't happen again because it definitely didn't help us against England. So, uh, but then again, Dalish is a very good manager in my eyes and he has my backing. Good. Now, uh, in terms of the team itself, you're saying it's quite downbeat this competition because it's a team in transition. You know that they're still looking for for that sort of right blend. Are you positive about Croatia's chances if they can get out of the group? They can maybe go on a run, maybe to the quarterfinals, semi-finals. What is the expectation? Well, I definitely want us to make the, make us. The, I definitely want us to make the quarterfinals because that's our best ever result in the Euros. So to match that, I think that'd be good enough. If we finish second, because we're probably going to face the, the... If we make it for the round of 16, we're probably going to face the winners of Group F. So, uh, yeah, I, I think quarterfinals is the way to go. Welcome back to Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. You heard from Lovra Nikolaj, a podcaster of Croatian football, who spoke to me about Croatia and what Scotland could face in the final game next Tuesday. But let's return to looking ahead to the big game on Friday first as Scotland travel to Wembley to take on England and we're all dreaming of getting a huge result over Gareth Southgate's side to restore the pride that took a bit of a dent on Monday. We've all had that dream as kids of scoring the winner for Scotland on England's hallowed turf 
And my next guest is one of a select few who have done that very thing. Since the harrowing 9-3 loss there in 1961, 60 years ago, Scotland have won only five times at Wembley with a select group of individuals to have scored winners consisting of Jim Baxter in 1963, Kenny Dalglish in 1977, John Robertson in 1981 and Don Hutchison from 1999. The glaring one missing from that list was the infamous victory in 1967 when Scotland took on the then world champions at Wembley and won 3-2 in a game that continues to live on in infamy. I'm pleased to say the scorer of the winner that day has joined me here on Free Kick to tell us all about it and while Jim McCallyog may have only won five caps in the dark blue, his contribution will never be forgotten. So when I spoke to him, I had to ask probably the most obvious question to start off with. What's it like to score a winning goal for Scotland at Wembley? It's the most amazing feeling for a Scotsman ever, um, and for myself as a uh, as a young budding footballer, um, it was always my dream to play for Scotland against England, and and hopefully um, do something in the game that you know that would make me remember it for for the rest of my life, really. What do you remember about the goal? I mean, the whole occasion, I've seen videos of it, um, it just looks absolutely amazing. Nearly 100,000 people crammed into Wembley Stadium and that goal, what do you remember? I remember it all, Craig. Uh, at first when Billy went down the left-hand side, Billy Bremner, I thought he was trying to run the clock down because um, I knew we were probably minutes away from, from winning, but Everything seemed to open up then, and Billy passed the ball to Bobby Lennox, and I thought I would go on the sneak and see if I could get in the box because nobody was with me, so I started making a run, and, and little Bobby passed it square to me, and then I slowed down a bit, controlled the ball, uh, played a one-two with uh, Willie Wallace, was very much aware of uh, Bobby Moore and Gordon Banks trying to close down the, the near post. But I got on the ball from the return pass from Willie and I've smashed it as hard as I can in at the near post and Bobby Moore couldn't stop me. And, and obviously it was too quick for Gordon Banks to get down to, to save it at his feet. So all I could see then was the ball rippling the net and and me knowing that I'd scored, I went over to the left-hand side where I knew my dad was in the crowd and um, tried to wave to him somewhere in the crowd. And the first guy to come and congratulate me was uh, one of my all-time heroes, Dennis Law. So it doesn't get any better than that, um, Craig. You know, if the ground just opened up and swallowed me, uh, I think I'd have been a happy man. Fantastic. Certainly is the stuff of dreams. I and mean, when you look at that England team, um, I, I think pretty much man for man, apart from Jimmy Greaves, I think it was the team that won the World Cup the year before as well. It must have been really nice to, to stuff that in their backyard as well. Yeah, well, obviously, um, with me playing down in England as well, and I mean, especially uh, Sheffield Wednesday, because there was... Uh, there was 10 Englishmen in the, the Sheffield Wednesday team and one Scotsman. So, you know, it was... Um, I would be getting a wee bit of stick if, if we'd have got beat. Um, but as it was, uh, 
I I just went back into training and a lot of the boys were great. They said, well done, Jim. I hope that's uh, the first of many, many games. And I said, thanks very much. And uh, it was lovely to go to training. But the crazy thing about it all, Craig, was that I went home on my own on the Sunday. Uh, I got the train from London uh, to Sheffield. But when I got on the train at first and I could hear the the train pulling away from Houston and the metal clanging away. I thought, did that really happen? Did you know? Did we beat England and did I score the goal? It was just so surreal. But of course, as soon as I got the papers, when I got home, obviously it all happened and it was a wonderful moment for myself and for my family. And it must be nice to to relive something. You know, so so huge in your career. I mean, we're talking fifty four years on since it happened, and I dare say you've told the story many many times. Does it ever get boring? <laughs> no, <laughs> never get boring. And because you know, like I said, we were we were kids in the gobbles in Glasgow, and 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 we used to play over the Glasgow Green, and 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 at the Glasgow Green, they had a lovely. Uh, bowling surface there where they played bowls and a lot of the times even although we were tired we used to sneak onto the the bowling green and and try and have a wee game of football with with the with the ball and uh, we would stay on as long as we could and until the the warden or the steward would come and blow his whistle and chase us off the the bowling green, but we have a great memories. But for it to come through, uh, come to to fruition, uh, it's just quite unbelievable. Um, but I said before the game that I was going to Wembley um, because I had done well with my club, and I was going there to learn more. And uh, although I was pretty pretty confident lad when I was playing. Um, it was a big learning experience for me, and and to play with the the players that we had in our team. Uh, never mind what people say, we had some fantastic players in our team. They, you know, they they could play for any team really. I mean, and it proved it because when the, we finished with the international scene. And then Celtic went on and won the, the European Cup and Rangers got beaten the European Cup Winners Cup. So Scotland was awash with football talent. It was it was just quite amazing. But then again, you have to to do the the, the thing on the day. It's it's no good talking about it. You've got to produce the result on the day. And uh, I think that's where Bobby Brown he did his homework and he picked the correct team. Funny you mentioned Bobby Brown. I came across a, a quote from him uh, from not too long ago, actually. I think it was only a few years ago, um, talking about the game and talking about you in particular, Jim. He, he described you as the crux of the team, you know, someone who was vital to, to the whole thing. And years later, that, that must you know still make you feel good, the fact that he put that faith in you and you, you did such a, a tremendous job on the day. Yeah, that that is absolutely uh, true about Bobby Brown. I mean, Bobby Brown um, had probably the hardest job of the, the the lot to pick a Scotland team because 
Um, at the end of the day, they were world champions. They were unbeaten for 19 games. And every man and a dog, they, they've all got their opinion. The, the, the press had their opinions. The ex-players, uh, ex-managers, everybody was, was picking the team. But he was the man that picked the team, and it couldn't have worked out better for us. And we we, we certainly started from from the first minute. We were we were at England, and, and we never stopped till the game was finished. Now you mentioned some of the, the players that you played with. I've got the team in front of me, actually. You know the, the names that leap out. You talked about the some of the guys from the Celtic team in '67 that, that went on and won the European Cup. Ronnie Simpson, Tommy Gemmell. Uh, Bobby Lennox was there Dennis Law of course a, a legend at Manchester United Billy Bremner John Gregg was the captain I mean you know these guys even now are, are legends what were these guys like to walk into a dressing room with bearing in mind you're a young lad this was your debut and it's important that we remember that that there were so many big names in that dressing room for what was you know a debut in such a big big game yeah there certainly was I mean there was um like you've just said, all them names, it just conjures up so so the, the the great healthy state the Scottish football was in. And if you think of, if I think about the names of the players that could actually have played as well, there's probably maybe ten players that could have played instead of me. So that you know that certainly you know it, it was great for the. For, for Scotland football back in the 60s and the 70s, um, but it was it was everybody was writing us off, and I think that's really what got to us. I think we were confident enough, and of course England had been uh, playing as a team. We had never played together. We had one training session, which was on the Friday morning, and that was just a light training session. So that obviously no, nobody would get injured, and we—I always remember playing on a, a bit of a bog of a, a pitch that uh, they couldn't have got as a worse pitch to train on. <laughs> but all them things just—they just didn't matter because come three o'clock or on that Saturday afternoon on the fifteenth of April, we were ready for England. And although we, I think you could get maybe four maybe five to one if you were lucky. We weren't afraid of England. We gave them no respect in the end because we went straight at them. And, and you know, we we bossed the game. And they can say that Jack Charlton got injured. That's okay, fair enough. But Jack Charlton did get them a goal. And, and he proved a bit of a nuisance um, for England as a, a makeshift centre-forward. But don't take anything away from from the team because we we played well from the beginning to the end and and it was a fabulous day and the supporters well honestly they, they were just amazing the colour um, the excitement and I remember when the game finished um, for whatever reason I ran to Ronnie Simpson and that was a way down the other end from the tunnel. Well, when me and Ronnie turned round to start to go back towards the tunnel, it was just full of Scotland supporters and they were pulling pulling our jerseys, pulling my shorts, trying to get my boots off me. And it must have taken us an easily 20 minutes to get to the, the other end to get in the dressing room. 
And the lads were saying, well, have you two been? And we said, oh, <laughs> stuck in the crowd. We just couldn't get away. As I look uh, and I talk to you, Jim, only three men have scored winners at Wembley for Scotland since you did it in 67. Kenny Douglas in 1977. Yep. Kenny Douglas in 77. Yeah, John Robertson. Amazing, Craig, isn't it? I know. John Robertson in 81 and Don Hutchison. Is that, is that including me? Uh, well, you're, well, this is after you. This is after you. So right. you've got Kenny Douglas in 77, uh, John Robertson in 81 and Don Hutchison in 1999. Is there going to be someone to add to that list in 2021, do you think? I would love it to happen. Uh, I, I really would because I was, like everybody, disappointed um, last night. But there's there's not a lot we, we can do about it. We've got to go to play England and they've got to go and, and, and show some belief. The, the, the thing is, England's building a team as well. They're a wee bit um, suspect at the back. I don't know if they've got the... The, the defence sorted out, so so maybe we could uh, maybe catch them on the hop a bit. But it will certainly be a, a different game. Uh, Scotland and England games are, are, are always, you know, so amazing and and, and there's so much at stake. And uh, I I think uh, Steve Clark will have had a good chat with the the players and and he'll, he'll get them up for this game and I think it'll be interesting to see what the score is at the end of the day. A wee hypothetical one. What if Steve Clark was to give you a call and say, Jim, you've won at Wembley. Talk to the lads. Tell them what it's like to win at Wembley. What advice would you give them um, before they stepped out on that turf on Friday? The most important advice they can get or I can get is belief. They have to go out there with belief. If they go out there thinking they, they can't do it, um, they, they're going to get beat. They must go out there with a, a total positive attitude and do what we did in 67. And that as soon as the whistle went, we got in about England. We never gave them time to settle on the ball. And uh, we, I think we won probably the first three or four tackles. And we, we just never stopped. And I think that's what Scotland's got to do. They've got to leave everything on the pitch, never mind um, anything else. They've got to be positive and, and hopefully they'll get, they'll get the brakes round about the goal. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that could make a big difference to us if, if we can get the, the first goal. That would help a lot. Which of the, the current group of players impresses you, Jim? You'll have seen them a few times now that we've seen some, some good names emerge in recent years. Which of those guys do you think can stand out for us on Friday? I think there's a, a lot of players in the Scotland squad that, that are impressive. I think they've got um, a big task ahead of them, like I said, in, in the Euros. But these next two games is, is very important. Uh, as regards individuals, uh, I think the the players and uh, they've got some good midfield players, and and obviously they've they've got um, Kieran Tierney and um, Andy Robertson, who are definitely our top players. So you know it's uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think if John McGinn can push forward and and look for a goal. 
that that would maybe make the big difference if he could maybe get us the first goal. Um, I think we've struggled for for forward players for for quite a while now. But I think Che Adams did well when he, he came on uh, against um, Czech Republic. So I'd probably like to see him start. Uh, and, and it'll be interesting to see what Steve's team is going to be um, for, for the match. Um, we're all great in hindsight, Craig. <laughs> you know, it's a wonderful thing. You, you can pick the team, you can do this, you can do that. But when you've got to pick the team, let's hope that, uh, that Steve Clark gets the team correct like Bobby Brown did in 1967. Excellent. Yep, definitely. And before we go, Jim, I want to ask you about a little project you've got underway at the moment in your career. Um, you've got some various successes. We've talked about the Scotland game. You also won the FA Cup with Southampton in 1976 as well. It's all going down in book form with a good friend of ours, Alex Gordon, who's writing your book. What's made you decide to, to do that? Um, but what happened really was the lockdown. I, did, I, I, I wanted to do it quite a few times before, but things got in the way and uh, in the end I didn't do it. But because of the lockdown, I thought, yeah, this is an ideal time. And, and I, I got in touch with Alec and Alec has helped me and uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's been great thinking about... Um, what I'd done with my my football career, so yeah, it's it's been really nice, and uh, I'm looking forward to to touring the country, going to uh, I will um, do some book signings in Scotland, and then I will go to my ex clubs to Wolverhampton, to Sheffield, to Chelsea, to Southampton, and to Manchester United. And I can't wait to see the some of the fans again. And uh, let's hope that I, I can sell quite a few books for, for my old age. Excellent. Have you got a title for the book yet? Or is that still under wraps as we speak? Yeah, we've got a title. Oh, the title is Wembley Wins, Wembley Woes. Fantastic. Look forward to reading that. Jim, thank you so much for your time. Great to hear your account of uh, that day in 67 and it's been a, a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. No problem, Craig. Take care. Welcome back to Free Kick from the Sports Social Network. Before the break, we spoke to Wembley wizard Jim McCallyog. How good was that? Wembley wins, Wembley woes. By Jim McCallion will be out in due course to so look out for it and I want to extend my thanks to Alex Gordon who helped set me up with the interview. Now, next week when we return we're either going to be wondering where it's all going wrong or look ahead to hopefully a second round game and let's hope it is the latter. But in the meantime, let's say well done to Scotland's women's team. They're preparing to start their World Cup qualifiers in September and they signed off their preparations with a 1-0 win over Wales on Tuesday in Flanethley. Erin Cuthbert scoring the only goal of the game and it takes the team nicely into the next campaign, as I said, starting in September. And it'll see Scotland taking on Spain, Ukraine, Hungary and the Faroe Islands. And we'll certainly look at that in more detail nearer the time. That's about it for Free Kick, the Scottish football podcast. And this podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, the UK's first dedicated sport podcast network. So find the next show you'll love or join the team at www.sport-social.co.uk. In the meantime, I want to thank my guests, Lovra Nicolaitz, 
Ian Crocker, Craig Brown and Jim McCallion for their time and input to this episode and it was certainly great to hear the stories we've heard. Let's also wish Steve Clark and the team the best of luck in the next two games and hope they can get the job done and we're certainly with you all the way boys. I'll be back next week so take care of yourselves and I'll talk to you soon. Come on Scotland! Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.